Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.ag. And for this week only, get a 110% sign-on bonus. 110% of your initial deposit by using code NEXTROUND. That's MyBookie.ag, code NEXTROUND. And uh, Daryl Moose Johnston is with us now. Uh, he's been with us many times before. We always appreciate it. Moose, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing fantastic. Thanks a lot. You know, Coach Holtz was on with us talking about uh, the the two leagues uniting. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm excited about this. Like, I, I guess a lot of people wondered if both of them could be, you know, there and both succeed. And, I mean, we may never know. But I think uh, the uniting of them makes everything stronger. Yeah, I think everybody felt like when we had two spring leagues going on last season, that how long was that sustainable? How long could that last? If we've tried this before and one spring league hasn't had the opportunity to be able to be sustainable and survive. So what makes us think that two are going to be able to do that? So um, I think the fact that we've come together now and really consolidated the talent, not only on the field, but the talent on the coaching staffs, we've taken the front offices of both of the leagues and blended the people there uh, and that's that's been one of the best things that's happened so far. And, and when we always talk about people when we were with the USFL and, and we're maintaining that and we've got a, a ton of great people, um, you know, coming in from both sides that have a ton of experience, uh, not only in, in in the spring leagues, but going up into the NFL. So I, I think that this was the best opportunity for spring football to be successful moving forward and being sustainable. And during the course of my Fox broadcast in the fall, I heard from a number of coaches around the NFL, whether it was head coach, offensive coordinator, how important this element is in their minds moving forward. So they were all very, very happy when they heard about the merger and the potential of this being a long-term solution. Uh, listen, I maybe it's because we're a USFL town uh, with the champs here for, for two years, but I liked that style of play better than I did the XFL style of play. When I watched the game this year, will uh, – Will it have uh, the same rules as we had in USFL? Will there be a difference? Is there a blend? What What will I get when I'm watching the actual games when we kick it off in a couple of weeks? Well, thank you for that comment. Uh, <laughs> we, we fought long and hard on our rules uh, because we felt the same way. We really liked uh, the way that our game presented itself on television. And one of the big things that we fought hard for was our kickoff. Uh, we did not like a stationary kickoff. Uh, we just felt that it didn't look like football. Uh, so we were able to get the USFL kickoff established into the UFL uh, because we feel that that's been a big part of our opportunity for guys to get to the NFL. And Kevante Turpin going to the NFL as a returner, but then having his role expand once he gets to Dallas. So the return element opens the door for you with an NFL opportunity. And then it's up to you to expand on that and become that slot receiver, that gadget guy, um, you know, in different formational positions. So that was something that we were very adamant about. Uh, the one thing that they were adamant about was the non-kicked PAT. So from the two yard line, it'll be a one point try, but it'll be a scrimmage play um, from the five yard line. It'll be a two-point play, and from the 10, it'll be a three-point play. But kickers will not be attempting extra points. And that was actually something that Eric Shanks, our CEO from Fox, was trying to encourage. We wanted more two-point and three-point PAT attempts, but we were not getting them. So we're hoping that the fact that, hey, listen, this is all the same. It's either from the two, the five, or the 10, and you get one, two, or three points, that that encourages teams to be a little bit more aggressive there. We've still got the fourth and uh, fourth and 12 uh, scrimmage onside play. Uh, that will be from the 28 instead of the 33, uh, which is a little bit of a change there. Uh, but for, for, for all in all, I, I think you saw some blending 
um, in some key areas. But the one area that I think probably had the most conversation during this process was the kickoff. Um, and, and the USFL drew a hard line in the sand that we, we, we need to see movement uh, at the at the time of the kick. You know, the stationary setting of the kickoff return team is something that does not look like football to us. So we wanted to have that element back in the game. Daryl Johnston is with us on the JohnstonRVCenter.com hotline. If you want to see him, if you want to see Coach Holtz, Russ Brandon from uh, the new UFL, an event tomorrow night, Protective Stadium, 630, 6.30, uh, five thir- five to six thirty. Excuse me, five to six thirty tomorrow night. Protective Stadium, the Stallion Social. If you want to see more and get more information, uh, at USFL Stallions on social media is probably the best way to do that. At USFL Stallions, but the Stallion Social Q and A time. Answer these questions like we're getting moose to answer. Uh, get some photos. Just hang out with uh, some of the people there. Five to six thirty tomorrow night. Protective Stadium in Birmingham. The uh, I remember watching the end of the Forty ers Lions game. Yeah, the NFC Championship, and it came down obviously to a Lions onside kick. And I think the stat this year, Moose, was two of forty. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, I, I've always liked the action play in that situation, like you guys have, because basically the rules have have made the onside kick impossible. At least you got a shot at an action play. Yeah, it was only the old school onside kick at the end of the game where you had overloads to one side, runners coming across. Um, I listen, I get it. It was a violent play. I was one of the guys who was on that front line that was just sacrificing his body for the guy behind you to field the kick. Um, so you had to come up with something different, but to balance that formation out and, and ask these guys to execute that with the game on the line. Yeah. It's gone from eight to 12% success rate down to two to 3%. Um, so I, I really just think the scrimmage play is, is a much better way to do this. And, and that's one of the big things I would say technology and then the rules that we have in the spring are the two areas that the NFL has the most eyes on. And, and I really do think that the, the fourth down, um, onside scrimmage play is something that they really want to take a long, hard look at because it's just, it's getting too hard to convert it. And, and, you know, we, we saw the watermelon kick in Dallas a couple of years ago against Atlanta. Uh, they're always trying to come up with something new to try and increase their opportunities, but it's just too hard. Uh, and it, once you, once you find that one thing, every coach is going to make sure that his players know how to defend that and, and how to, uh, how to play that special play. So this is something that, that we hope is, going to move its way up to the NFL. And for us, what we want to do, and this, this was one of the concessions in the rules, was we blended everything. We were actually moving the fourth down and 12th play out further beyond the 33. We were talking about going out to the 38th. So if you didn't convert it, it wasn't an automatic field goal. You know, you, you were giving up three points if you didn't make that play. We wanted to encourage our teams to actually use it more often during the course of the game. You can only use it in the fourth quarter when you're behind or tied this season. But one of the things that we'll push for a little bit moving forward is the direction we were heading uh, at in the USFL last year, which is if it's the second quarter and we've had two consecutive scoring drives and we feel that defense can't stop us, we're going for the fourth and 12. And we're going to try and put this game away early here in the first half. Um, I, 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 this is going to be more of a challenge and not a threat, but now that we're, everybody's playing in their home stadiums, um, for the first time since we brought this league back, it seems to be important now that Birmingham sort of showcases itself and fans go out and support this. I mean, we're going to, each franchise around the country is going to be judged by their, their attendance, right? I mean, this is important for Birmingham fans to come out and support these five home games. I, I, that's, we're going to be judged like a real franchise now, right? You are. 
You are. And obviously, you know, the bell cow in the league is St. Louis that, that averaged over 30,000 fans a game last year. Um, you know, our franchises coming into this league are, are all near the bottom when we talk about attendance. So this is a challenge to not only Birmingham, but this is a challenge to Memphis. This is a challenge to Detroit. This is a challenge to Houston. You know, we've all got to be better. It's going to be interesting to see how they embrace this in Houston because it's the Houston Roughnecks logos and colors from the XFL, but it's the Houston Gamblers roster and staff from the USFL. So what is that transition like? Wade Phillips, who's got a, you know, he's iconic when you talk about the Houston community, is now in San Antonio. So what, what is that going to be like for Curtis Johnson and his staff and his roster when they come into Houston? Because they had a pretty good attendance last year. But when you talk about our three USFL teams, we, we are going to encourage everybody in those communities to come out uh, and support their teams because you're exactly right. Number one, it's going to be able to show that our markets where we are expanding this league uh, into uh, uh, and bringing all the games to them in market uh, is going to be very important. And, and we have to have the support of the community um, to, to really show that this is something that is sustainable moving forward. Daryl Johnston is also a three-time Super Bowl champion with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the, and I cannot remember in the three you played, Moose, was there the weekend between? Did you have the bye week in between? We had the bye week in between on all but one. Okay. I, I think we were probably one of the last ones where they actually had a one-week uh, gap in between conference championship and Super Bowl. Um, I know it's it's not – easy for the fans you know to have that that one week where there's nothing going on but i tell you what it was it was really important for us and, and i'll give you a, a little story of of what can happen and especially in today's nfl in our championship game against san francisco troy got need in the side of the head and and had a bad concussion and left the game and bernie kozar actually came in and finished that game for us um with a two-week gap troy would be back in today's nfl in today's nfl i don't know if he would have been cleared to play uh, you know, that that was something that we were very, very concerned about. Um, you know, was Troy going to be healthy just in that seven day turnaround? Because we had to logistically the next day, you know, start planning about, you know, family travel, getting your tickets, getting packed, getting ready to go down to Atlanta for the Super Bowl. So I just think from a from a pace and, and making sure you've got everything checked for the players and, and coordinating with family and friends to make sure they get an opportunity to, to be a part of the Super Bowl experience. And then from a player health and safety perspective, that two-week gap is critically important. So we had it both ways. Um, and and the, the one week was really, really hard logistically. But then for us, going into the Super Bowl without Troy Aikman would have been devastating. Ooh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, uh, but yeah Bernie Kosar, a capable backup, but he ain't Troy Aikman, right? So, right. And, and And I know you've watched a lot of NFC, doing the NFC on Fox, and I might be oversimplifying this, but it felt to me like Kansas City throughout this playoffs um, has been playing their best football of the season, and it feels like the 49ers maybe have not. I mean, they were behind to Green Bay, behind big to Detroit. Am I reading too much into that? No, but I think there's some good ways to look at that. I, I mean, it's, it's exactly what happened, right? Uh, Kansas City started the season playing great football, had a little bit of a bump in the road through the middle part, October, leading up to Thanksgiving, and then got on a roll at the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, they're playing their best football. To win uh, at, at, at Buffalo uh, is, is not easy to do. Uh, to go beat Baltimore, hosting their first championship game in 50-plus years, uh, not easy to do. Um, so they, they've done some great things in the playoffs, and you got Patrick Mahomes. Um, San Francisco, one of the big things about San Francisco 
is the inability for them to come back in the fourth quarter. They're a great front-runner team, right? Get out, build that lead, turn that pass rush loose, and you try to come and catch up to us. In the playoffs, they haven't functioned that way. To your point, they were behind against Green Bay. They were behind big against Detroit. Uh, I think that this gives them confidence going into this game. They've kind of checked a few boxes. If you remember, in that divisional round against Green Bay, one of the graphics that always comes up when you do a Kyle Shanahan-San Francisco game, um, he was 0-34, down by five or more in the fourth quarter as a head coach, and they were able to check that box against Green Bay. And then to tie the biggest lead uh, or the biggest deficit overcoming an NFC championship game, in my opinion, gives San Francisco a ton of confidence going into this game. We know what they can do when they're functioning with all that talent around them and playing their style of being that that group that comes out and gets that lead and takes off. Um, I, I think the big thing for me is the last time these two teams played in the Super Bowl, San Francisco was up 10 in the fourth quarter and lost that game. Yep. That, that was right in their wheelhouse. That's how they are built. If you're down to San Francisco by 10 going into the fourth quarter, it's going to be tough for you to win that game. And Kansas City found a way. So I, I, I think this is going to be a fantastic matchup. And Mahomes guy is hard to kill, he as is. it turns out. <laughs> 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 so hard to kill that one. Uh, all right. Hey, listen, tomorrow night, we encourage everyone uh, that can to go down to Protective Stadium, downtown Birmingham, 5 to 630 Stallion Social. Uh, don't head home after work. Just head to Protective Stadium and a Q&A with uh, Russ Brandon, Daryl Johnston, and Coach Holtz, Skip Holtz, right there at Protective Stadium. Stallion Social, you can see all the information on it. You can even sign up if you want to. Go ahead and get your name on the list at USFL Stallions on Twitter, at USFL Stallions. And uh, the Stallions and the Renegades start things off week one, March 30th. Moose, thank you very much for the time. Good to talk with you again. Good to talk with you guys. Looking forward to being in Birmingham tomorrow. So it's, just, it's become my home away from home here the last few years. So excited to come into town. You're welcome anytime. You know, we'll, we'll take you anytime. Thank you, man. All right, take care. Uh, XFL Renegades and the Birmingham Stallions kicking it off uh, in protective stadium you saw what a, a tv pro moose is he said his goodbye and wouldn't say anything else that's, that's how right. they teach you on network just TV, not right? in the box just not in the box so you don't have that awkward goodbye that we tried to make it 